You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I want to start out with an observation that I don't think is unique to myself. I am inundated with the message that love is important. Whether that's here in chapel, or at gather, or sometimes even in secular settings. It's not always phrased that way. Um, We hear, what would Jesus do? He would love first. If you've walked into Hughes a single time this semester, you have heard you are what you love, which is true. I'm not dissing chapel. It's very true. But sometimes, it's more like, I really should have been kinder in that situation. Or, we have got to stop being so judgmental. And that one usually follows a great gossip session with a friend. And these sentiments are good ones, and they are true. But no one ever talks about why we're unkind and judgmental, and why it's difficult to love people. It's going to make me sound like a bad person, but eventually I got sick of hearing it. I was like, yeah, that's true. I should be way better at loving people than I am. But in my heart of hearts, I don't think I want to. And when I do want to, I feel like I can't. And when I try, it's fake. I was reminded of Romans 7 where Paul says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. I realized there is something in the way here. Something is blocking me from being able to love people the way that a born-again believer should. I mean, I'm a Christian, so I know I'm supposed to live the way that Jesus lived, but I don't even know exactly what people mean when they say that. So that's where I was, not that long ago. And I kind of let these thoughts run wild for a little bit, and I decided to explore the character of Jesus, and I read about sin, and I read about love, and I came to this sentence that seemed to sum up what I had been missing, and it's this. Jesus forgave sinners and... He ate dinner with them. What I was finding was that most instances of forgiveness that Christ displayed in Scripture were immediately followed by an act of kindness that wasn't technically necessary. I mean, we know that Jesus forgave sinners, right? That's the point. But what if it's not the whole point? What if the whole point of the gospel includes the actions that follow the forgiveness? At the time of life that I was looking into all this, which would have been just early this past summer, I was a big forgiver and forgetter. That's what I felt was healthiest for me, um, because of course I forgive you. I'm a Christian. I mean, Jesus forgave me, and he died on that cross for me, so who am I to withhold that from you? That's a no-brainer. But at the time, when I forgave people who wronged me, and I mean really wronged me, I'm not just talking about a conflict with a friend, I'm talking about people who were in my life to make it worse, you would not have caught me eating dinner with any of them, let alone associating with them. So all of a sudden, I was seeing a big difference between me and Jesus. And that's a bad feeling. He forgave sinners, and he ate with them. We don't live like that. And it's not just an Asbury thing. I think it's a Christian thing. So I'm still thinking, I'm still wrestling, and that's when I came to this theory. Now, I don't know a single person that takes notes in chapel, but if for some reason you are, this is the one to write down. The level at which 
you accept Christ's forgiveness is the level of forgiveness that you extend to others. And the more I thought about this, the more I was able to identify sin within myself that I was holding on to. Not because I liked it and wanted to keep it, but because the idea of God seeing me as holy and blameless didn't sit right. I'm sure most of you have heard Paul's teachings from the New Testament, but before he was a theologian, his given name was Saul, actually, and Saul not only witnessed, but wholeheartedly consented to the murder of the first recorded Christian martyr. He was a young man named Stephen. And Saul says in Acts 22, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Those are the words of a man who lived and breathed hatred. His identity was Christian persecutor. But then he encountered Jesus, the Son of God, on his way to Damascus, who forgave him on the spot and gave him a new name. In one day, Christ declared, Saul is a murderer, but Paul is a church planter. The reality of the gospel is that once you fully accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you are permanently whole. And what that means is you were not good enough, and now, to your core, you are. You were not qualified to enter a relationship with the Holy God, and now, you are. By Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. That is your ultimate truth, and it should be your ultimate identity. Now put a pin in that and go on this journey with me. Um, if you know me well, you know that I love my parents. I pride myself on having the favorite parents of all my friends. They're chill. They don't embarrass me. They're both artists. Like, they're the coolest people. But when I was thinking about the power of Paul's conversion, I was trying to put this miraculous change that this man in history actually experienced into an example that I could grasp, and this is what I realized. So my dad. My dad has been my best friend since the second I was born. He's the reason I love old music. He consults me about his riskier fashion choices, as he should. He's the only man in my life that will eat a bean burrito with me. And even though I found the man that I'm going to marry when I was hundreds of miles away from dad, he trusted me when I told him that Mason is a godly man who's going to care for me and love me all my life. But Gordon is not inherently better than a man who rejects his own family. And my mom. My mom has walked me through the worst parts of my life with complete grace and understanding. She instilled in me my love for art and literature. She flew a few hundred miles to go to a concert with me when my date bailed on me back in high school. <laughs> like, mom gets it. <laughs> but Bethany is not inherently better than a mom who spends her money on drugs instead of food for her kids. Of course, my parents are in better circumstances, and they're making better life choices, but my parents were not made in the image of a better God. And until I look at the man who hates his own family and the mom who causes her own children to suffer as equally worthy of salvation, then I am not living like a Christian. I'm not living a forgiven life. Do you see how much bigger this is than love your neighbor even if you don't like them? This is look at liars 
and murderers and abusers as people who can be saved for as long as they are breathing, who are not any less deserving of eternal life than I am. And when we choose to see people as redeemable, that is when earth starts to resemble heaven. Because when I begin thinking that way, suddenly I don't feel so confident gossiping about people and blaming people, holding grudges, perpetuating rumors. Now, I'm not just forgiving you because as a Christian, I have to. I'm living with a completely different mind. Because in the thick of my sin, when my actions sent the Son of God to a criminal's cross and he was bleeding out, my sin is what actually died that day. My sin is totally and completely canceled. It is gone, and he cannot find it. And if he can't find it, then why are we still looking for it? Paul didn't just stop persecuting Christians because he realized, wow, that was a really bad thing to do. He planted churches. How far would he have gotten if he had lacked the humility to forgive himself for what he had done? What if he had decided what he deserved? And we know the answer to that question because that's what Judas did. And I might be the first student body president who's come up here for ASC Chapel and talked about Judas. He's literally the villain of the Bible um, because he traded Jesus for a bag of change. But Judas was a professing believer. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He, of all people, understood that Jesus could and would cleanse him of the wrong he had done, but he refused to accept it. He refused to accept that he, too, could be free, and the remainder of his life was spent wallowing in self-inflicted shame. Are we doing that? I was, and I sometimes still do. And it took time and help. But I realized that as a Christian, if I really believe what I say I believe— then my forgiveness and the forgiveness of others is not for me to feel, it is for me to accept as the truth. The truth being that I am anchored to the hope of heaven because of what Christ did on that cross and then what he did three days later. I will be face to face with him in heaven, and let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of people next to me that I did not expect to see there. And that's a humbling thought. And sin will be gone. Grief will be gone. Fear will be gone. Anxiety, gone. Regret, gone. Anger, abuse, depression, gone. And if you have told Jesus, I know I'm not good on my own, I need a relationship with you, then that is your future. But guys, you either believe you are fully cleansed or you don't. And anything in between is the devil trying to distract you, and I really believe that. Forgiveness is not an abstract idea. It's not a spiritual cushion for you to land on when things get hard. Jesus Christ was really born in Bethlehem, and he was part of a real family. He was an artist, a woodworker, and he made friends, really good friends that spent their lives praying with him. And he got older, and he really did perform miracles and cure diseases and overthrow real government systems. And then his closest friends, Judas and Peter, really did turn him into the officials 
who wanted him dead, and he was murdered and buried in a hole in the ground. And after a long weekend, his eyes opened, and he lived again, and he sought out the Peter who betrayed him, and he redeemed him of all people. And then he went back to be with his Father in heaven, and he is sitting in paradise right now, saving us a seat. But before we get there, he calls us to live a forgiven life. Way before he calls us to be students, or a wife, or a mother, or a husband, or a son, or a sister, or an employee, or an athlete, or a student body president. These are things that we get to be, but it's not who we are. And life is strange when we have one foot in the door of heaven and the rest of us are here. It's not easy. We suffer. We get angry. We get confused. We're overwhelmed. We're human. And on this side of Christ's return, we're not going to experience perfection. But we have no excuse to live like unforgiven people. So the conclusion that I ultimately came to, and one that EC decided way back in July that needed to be shared, is that yes, love shows up in the form of kindness and generosity and the fruits of the Spirit. But in its simplest form, love is evidence of forgiveness. And if you have professed devotion to Jesus Christ and you have accepted that he forgives, accept that he forgives all of it. And then go out and be a forgiving person. Because you're never going to find a verse that says, let go of what no longer serves you. You're going to find one that says, do good to those who hate you. One that says, bless those who curse you. And one that says, pray for those who abuse you. But Jesus does not ask us to do this without showing us how. It starts with allowing him into every corner of your heart, especially the ones that you hate. And from that stems actual love for one another. Asbury is going to look a whole lot different when we stop doing the bare minimum. When we start forgiving each other and eating dinner with each other. And maybe that looks like an actual dinner in the calf, which I do not recommend. But maybe it looks like, hey, great job on your presentation and actually meaning it. Or maybe it looks like, I don't agree with literally anything you believe, but I'm not going to slander you on Twitter because I'm living a forgiven life that I do not deserve, and my actions spring from that alone. Today, more than you ever have, accept that Jesus' blood paid it all, and then wake up tomorrow and accept it again, and then again, and then again, and then again. And I'll leave you with 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's the start of heaven on earth.